Governor Bashir announcing new steps to try to reverse the recent surge in coronavirus cases. Bashir has ordered all Kentucky restaurants to reduce their capacity down to 25% from the current 50. He's ordering all bars to close completely. He says it comes as Kentucky continues to see high numbers of cases. My lay of the landscape is that we're in a very important period right now where the next month or so is going to determine a lot of what happens next in society. From the digital journalists of WDRB.com, this is Uncovered, a behind-the-scenes look at stories affecting education, business, criminal justice, and more in Louisville, Kentucky. And now for the show. This is Chris Otts of WDRB.com. Well, Kentucky and Indiana are nowhere near Florida or Texas when it comes to the coronavirus. Nonetheless, things have been moving in the wrong direction the last couple of weeks in our area. I've got my colleague Marcus Green this week, and we're discussing Kentucky and Indiana's recent measures to fight COVID-19. And one note before we get into the show, uh, the audio quality is not up to our normal standard. We're working from home, doing the best we can, like a lot of other folks, and Marcus recently had a birthday. It looks like I need to buy him a new headset. I apologize for that, but I hope you can follow along. And here's my conversation with Marcus Green. Marcus, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Glad to be here. So a few weeks ago, it looked like both Kentucky and Indiana were they were opening up uh, the governors of each state. You know, you and I both have to watch these press conferences that they do periodically, sometimes daily, uh, on their updates on coronavirus. And they both seem to be kind of slapping each other on the back uh, or slapping themselves on the back, I should say, about what a great job their state's doing and, and gradually opening up. And in the last few weeks, things have really taken a turn for the negative. Right. And it's interesting because Kentucky and Indiana are different in a lot of ways. You have a Democratic governor in Kentucky. You have a Republican governor in Indiana. But both Eric Holcomb, Indiana's governor, and Andy Bashir, Kentucky's governor, uh, did a lot of things the same, or, or at least similar. They took similar steps as they were handling COVID in the early months. Uh, and as each state uh, began to flatten the curve and to make some progress in suppressing uh, case numbers and, and really limiting the spread of the virus, each governor uh, really held up his own state as, as a model and oftentimes contrasted it to what was happening in other states. But what we've seen in the past month in particular, as uh, people have begun to resume a lot of their normal activities and lives as the governors have reopened the states, we're seeing case numbers go up. And more importantly, we're seeing a metric that uh, really has been latched onto by the public health community and public officials to gauge the true extent of the coronavirus problem, and that's positivity rates. Uh, those have been going up in both states. So where we are right now is each governor has begun to uh, take some measures to try to curb the spread and to, and to begin to restore 
uh, their state to some of the earlier success they were having. Well, we're going to explain the positivity rate and talk about some issues that we've had uh, with getting those metrics here in a minute. But let's talk about where we are with each state. Um, Governor Bashir took some new measures yesterday. We'll get to that. But I believe Indiana, uh, last I knew, they were kind of on their way to fully reopening and then decided to pause that. And then uh, Governor Holcomb put in a statewide mask order. Uh, Have I got that right? Right. Indiana had created a a five-step plan to gradually reopen the state's economy and resume many of the businesses and events and services that had been going on pre-COVID. And Governor Holcomb had aimed to have all this completed by July 4th. Now, of course, it wasn't going to be a return to life as normal, but it was going to be a new normal with social distancing and and other types of capacity reductions uh, at some events. But by and large, Holcomb had aimed to get the state more or less into its new normal by July 4th. As that date approached, he began to pull back on it. Instead of moving to stage five, he uh, moved to what he called stage 4.5, which was uh, not allowing everything to return to normal. It was uh, keeping some uh, capacity numbers, uh, bars, you know, not at 100%. So he was, what Holcomb was doing was kind of letting off the, the gas pedal as they neared the finish line, hoping that within a week or two, numbers would show uh, a you know, a a better trajectory and and they could go to stage five. But instead, what's happened is that Holcomb has, uh, you know, last week announced there was going to be a a statewide mask mandate in most public places that went into effect Monday of this week. And so Indiana has done what a lot of states have done, Kentucky, Ohio, Minnesota, really a a huge number of states that have implemented these, these mask mandates. All right. It is Monday at four o'clock and at a time when Kentucky is dealing with a surge in the coronavirus. Marcus, Governor Bashir announced some new measures uh, in Kentucky on Monday. Uh, What is he doing? And his justification has to do with White House guidance and not wanting things to get out of control in Kentucky, as in some other states that he continually mentions. What Governor Bashir announced on Monday came just one day after he met in Frankfurt with Dr. Deborah Burks, who is the top coronavirus official on the White House White House Task Force. Uh, Burks met with Bashir. They held a joint press conference on Sunday, and then on Monday. The governor said that he was taking additional steps that were very much in line with what the White House recommends. So the White House uh, believes and and has the modeling to show that four steps are necessary for a state that is escalating. They are the steps that they recommended in Texas and Arizona, and they are the steps that both they and we believe. Uh, He pointed out that two of these steps have already been taken that one is facial coverings for people in public settings or when they can't social distance the second is to limit social gatherings to less than 10 people Uh, he's singled out things like backyard barbecues and house parties as places where 
COVID-19 is, is spreading, perhaps because people feel comfortable, they might have a few drinks and not uh, abide by some of these guidelines. But the other two are new, and you're right, they're uh, adding new restrictions on bars and restaurants for two weeks, limiting uh, the capacity uh, for indoor restaurant to 25% of their pre-COVID levels, but he emphasized that he wants unlimited outdoor service if they can safely do that, and bars are going to close down completely for two weeks. So around August 11th is when there'll be a reevaluation of whether or not Kentucky has made any progress and perhaps there can be uh, restaurants reopening or bars in some kind of new setup. He emphasized, and I think it's important to note that even if bars reopen anytime soon, it won't be the typical bar experience where people are shoulder to shoulder or able to wander around. It's going to more resemble a restaurant with fixed type seating. Of course, Marcus, this couldn't come at a worse time for the restaurant industry, which was trying to get its footing uh, after being forced to close. And several have already said that they are not coming um, back. You know, it's just hard to go backwards. It's hard to plan for. This is Stacy Roof, the head of the Kentucky Restaurant Association, in an interview on Monday. It's hard to tell operators who are hoping, you know, to get closer to turning a profit that they, you know, have to take a few steps back. And, and uh, you know, it's just hard all the way around. They, um, I'm sure we'll figure out ways to make the next two weeks the best they can. But, you know, it's really hard to lay people off for such a short term. Um and I'm sure they've, you know, done some ordering for this week, food and other supplies. And so there's just a lot of logistics, I guess, that come into play. And Indiana cases are also rising there. Uh, the positivity rate is moving up. Uh, has Governor Holcomb hinted at moving backwards? I know he's paused his reopening plan, but it would seem that the next logical step is to put more restrictions in. Do you have any way to gauge whether he is moving in that direction? Well, he was asked that question last week at his weekly coronavirus briefing. Are we headed in the direction to reverse our reopening plans? That, that's, um, David, what I want to avoid and why we're taking this step um, right now is so that we don't have to we we have so many of our businesses that are back online we're seeing positive trends i need to get fred didn't really address it directly but essentially said that's something he wants to avoid doing and that if people can get behind some of these new uh, things he's putting in place like wearing masks uh, and just being smarter overall that perhaps that won't be necessary i think it's Equally as important to note on the Indiana side that, you know, Governor Holcomb has been asked repeatedly about policy decisions that he's ultimately ended up taking. He, he was asked for weeks about why Indiana doesn't have any kind of statewide mask policy or requirements, and he re said repeatedly that he believed in giving local jurisdictions their own power and control to do that and pointed out that a number of cities and counties had already had their own mask mandates put into place. Then a few weeks later, 
he decided to put in a statewide requirement for masks. So what Governor Holcomb has shown is that he sometimes is taking steps that he's asked about weeks before, and he has been repeatedly asked about whether or not Indiana might peel back some of its, uh, restore some of its restrictions that, that previously were in place. Bashir, as he continues to introduce new measures, it seems that he brings up the White House task force, Dr. Burks, as you said, quite a bit. And I don't want to read too much into it, but to me, it's like he knows that people are getting tired of these restrictions. He's facing more vocal opposition. And it's as though he's constantly reminding the public that, uh, if you like President Trump, this is what his administration, I'm following the path that they're setting out. By the federal administration, we started out with different numbers, is limiting indoor restaurant capacity to 25. Again, uh, they are uh, backed by the uh, federal administration. So right now, the, the White House is also advising that they believe these four steps can be as But the White House's modeling shows that this is absolutely necessary to control the spread at this so that, it's almost as if he's kind of inoculating himself from criticism by continuing to to invoke the White House as he uh, implements further restrictions. I think that's a fair way to look at it to some degree because he obviously has a lot of critics in Kentucky, and while it's not completely along party lines, you know there have been some partisan shots taken at him uh, and vice versa. So, you know, if you watched his press conference yesterday, he really, in the first half of it, bent over backwards to emphasize that what he was doing was simply complying with what the White House wants. Uh, He mentioned the president by name several times. He mentioned the White House repeatedly. uh, I would say probably seven or eight times at least. So, you know, clearly he's trying to have some cover and to point out that this isn't Andy Bashir, a Democrat, uh, the only elected statewide Democrat in Kentucky uh, making these decisions, but it's the decisions he's making after one, speaking with the White House's top person, and two, following their own guidelines that the president has laid out. Bashir has also taken criticism from conservatives, people who are opposed to him lately about all the protests that have been happening. We had the uh, uh, militia group that was demonstrating in Louisville over the weekend uh, and his um, uh, prohibition against gatherings of 10 people uh, has not been enforced during all these mass gatherings, and he actually addressed that question about a perceived a double standard there at his press conference on Monday. Perceiving an inconsistency with um, asking people to limit their social gatherings at their home and in their backyard to 10, and then, and then protests going uh, on. You know, we can control what we can control. Uh, I need people to do uh, the right thing in their homes and in their backyards. Well, what I've seen from protests is, yes, it's, it's a lot more people other than, than 10. I have seen significant uh, amounts of people wearing facial coverings and spreading out. But you know, we have all have our part to do, regardless of whether we think other people around us are, are doing it. You know, we're going to fail in this if we say, well, that guy over there isn't wearing his uh, facial covering, so I'm not going to either. And our goal in this has to be we want to 
Well, this is, I think, one of the big questions about this pandemic that we still don't have an answer to um, in terms of actual hard data. In fact, we don't have a lot of actual hard data that shows really any connection to where these cases are increasing. They're, they're calling them clusters. And we've heard the governor say that travel and social gatherings are contributing, the bars are contributing. We've heard Mayor Fisher say much the same thing. In Louisville, we've seen the city's public health department say that there's no evidence that the protests are contributing. Uh, it's one of these situations where everything is so fluid. You'll see photographs of, of protests where there are a number of people without masks. You'll see photographs of protests where the majority of people are masked. You'll see photos where people are close together, photos where they're far apart. You know, in many cases, people are cherry picking the images that they want to use to uh, support their own point of view. But as far as just looking at the data, we just don't have the data yet, uh, at least I haven't seen the data, to really show what is causing the case increase. And I'm not sure we'll ever have that given how exponentially this disease can be spread at times. And we still are very early on into both the state and the city of Louisville's contact tracing program. So uh, right now, I, you know, the, the frustration for reporters and some citizens alike is that we are having to take at face value the, the, the statements of public officials. And while there's no reason to believe that they're not telling the truth, there's also no evidence that supports what they're claiming. So uh, <laughs> that's where we are right now. Well, speaking of taking something at face value from public officials, one thing that we've had to take at face value is that very important metric that you talked about, the positivity rate, at least in Kentucky. I think Indiana is a little uh, bit more transparent in their figures on this. But before we dive into that, let's talk about the positivity rate. You're seeing that a lot more in stories about coverage of the coronavirus than you did uh, in previous months where it seemed like all the focus was on cases. But what is the positivity rate and why are people looking at it, invoking it more often these days? Right. The positivity rate is what it, what it is. It's the rate of tests for COVID that are coming back positive on any given day or during a specific time frame. So it's really the best real-time indicator of when a batch of tests are completed, what percentage of those batch tests are positive. And so what Indiana's done, what Kentucky's begin has begun to do, they're providing state statewide positivity rates over a seven day average. So it one gives sort of a window into the current state of the virus and, and how many people are testing positive. But I think more importantly Positivity rate allows you to adjust for increases or decreases in testing. There's been an argument at times during this, during this crisis that when cases increase, it's simply a result of more testing because that has been the promise from local and state governments and the federal government. Let's increase testing. Let's have more tests available. And that has happened. But when you see a, a dramatic number of, of cases increase, there are people who will say, well, that's solely because there are more tests. And of course, if you have more tests, you have more positives. That doesn't necessarily mean that the virus is 
is more prevalent. It just means that it's, it's a math equation. Positivity rate allows you to adjust for a day where you might have lower tests, a day where you might have higher tests, a weekend, uh, a lab that's got a backlog. So if you smooth it out over a seven-day period or a 10-day period, you can kind of get a sense of where the how the tests are coming back. And so everyone seems to be latching on the positivity rate is probably the best indicator right now of the virus. And it's also one of the White House's metrics, and it's one of the World Health Organization's metrics that an area with more than 5% positivity rate uh, ought to tap the brakes on, on reopening or be more cautious. And Kentucky and Indiana are both now above that 5% uh, average mark. In fact, I have those right in front of me. So in Kentucky, it's 5.58% positive over the last seven days. In Indiana, uh, the rate is 6.8%, so considerably higher. Um, This is not the highest it's ever been. Indiana has a really nice data dashboard that allows you to look at things really quickly Hint, hint, Kentucky should have something like that. Uh, but their their rate was as high as 20% back in early April. But again, uh, that was uh, in the beginning of the pandemic. And it looks like it's generally been on the rise uh, since uh, mid-June. So um, one thing that we've honed in on uh, in Kentucky, I mean, I remember you – uh, we're doing some back-of-the-envelope math uh, just last week trying to figure out how Kentucky is calculating its positivity rate because uh, if you just look at the publicly reported numbers, it actually seems uh, understated. Uh, if you look at the Coronavirus Resource Center at Johns Hopkins and you know they get their data from the COVID-19 tracking project – uh, they calculate a much higher positivity rate for Kentucky, uh, and we asked the state health department, and uh, as of today, they still have not provided us the methodology for how they calculate this. They directed us to file uh, an open records request, which I did last week, which hasn't come back yet. On data, it's imperfect. It will stay imperfect. It will forever be imperfect. This is Kentucky Health Commissioner Dr. Stephen Stack. I and we commit to give you the best data we possibly can. We've had a lot of questions lately, Um, we always do, but about how the seven-day positivity rate for testing varies. My response on all of these is we'll continue to be accountable and transparent and share how we calculate things, but I and the department I oversee at the Kentucky Department for Public Health are the repository for the official data on COVID-19 for the state of Kentucky, and I don't know how all the other sites calculate their numbers or why they vary. The official numbers come from the state of Kentucky. What I make of a lot of this data uh, on, on the coronavirus is that we're dealing with a lot of variables, right? Where we're talking about many, many labs involved, both state labs, out-of-state labs in both states, Kentucky and Indiana. Uh, But we're talking about Kentucky now. So, you know, Kentucky has labs in-state. They've got labs out-of-state. They've got uh, delays in in some of the labs reporting data. Um, I know that in the case, say, of 
of Metro Louisville, which doesn't provide a uh, rolling positivity rate. They just show a cumulative positivity rate, which really doesn't help because it, it really doesn't show anything. It just shows the total number of tests, the total, total number of positives, and that's actually coming from the state. But at the city level, for instance, you know, they're not getting all of the negative tests back. Uh, they're getting only the positive tests and they're getting some negative tests. So they're actually not getting the full data that's coming back to the city. They're getting the data that they need to make public health decisions based on, which is, you know, positive cases and uh, things like that. But there's just a real, in, with some of these labs, especially the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing and at the state level. I think what we're going to find out is that the reason that the difference exists between what the state is publicly reporting and what uh, some of our back of the envelope math and what some of these other coronavirus tracking um, websites are showing is that you have to separate um, you know, some of the, the bad data from the good data before you actually provide it. And I think some of the, the calculations that people are making based on publicly available data you know, might be double counting some cases, um, some tests. It, 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 clearly, there's a disconnect because the numbers that the state is providing, it's several percentage points lower than what you mentioned, John Hopkins, what they show in terms of a positivity rate for Kentucky. And it's interesting because I'll just add this comment here. I mean, it's it. if anything, people accuse the Bashir administration of being alarmist uh, about the virus in Kentucky and being, um, you know, overly reactive to it. So it would be kind of curious if they were understating uh, the positivity rate. So I'm sure that there is, I've got an open mind as to what the explanation is here, but it is also at the same time a bit head scratching as to why we don't have it yet. (laughs) Um, I would would agree with that. And I I think one of the biggest frustrations from a reporter's standpoint is that we just don't have all the data that we need. And like you said a few minutes ago, that leaves us at, at the, it really, we have to, we have to take a lot of what we're being told at face value. And of course, you know, that's not what we do. You know, we're supposed to analyze and, and really try to verify what the actual situation is and and it's very difficult to do with some of this data marcus i'm thinking back to around march when this thing was new and there was a lot of talk about well maybe it's just like the flu maybe it will uh, just dissipate and go away in the warm weather months Uh, we suffice to say we've not seen that and i know it's always hard to predict the future but what's your take as to how long we're going to be living with these uh, restrictions, whether this is a temporary pullback and then we'll be moving forward again, uh, or do we just have to see where this goes? I I think this is, of course, the big question about planning for the future. Um, School is starting, by the way, (laughs) which is going to make things – you know, so much, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's just such a huge turning point because it not only has to do with uh, children, but also with availability of adults uh, to be in the workforce. 
uh, because there's a huge childcare problem uh, if schools are are not reopened. So these things are really coming to a head nationally and locally here in the next few weeks. Well, they are, and you know, besides the vital importance of you know school and childcare, we've got things like the Kentucky Derby and the State Fair, and uh, you know, events that people rely on to feel like life is normal and sports potentially down the road. College sports, but, you know, we've seen Major League Baseball just in the last couple of days have a significant outbreak that's forced the cancellation of, of some games and who knows what will happen to that season because it involves a lot of travel. So I, I think my lay of the landscape is that we're in a very important period right now where the next month or so is going to determine a lot of what happens next in society. Um, I think we also have to recognize that you know there are many countries in the in the world that have managed this virus. They are reopening. They're they've implemented you know, very robust testing and contact tracing programs. Um, you know, governors Holcomb and Bashir both have have said when they've talked to their residents that, look, this is partially about what we're mandating and what we're requiring, but it's also about personal responsibility and people making decisions that will protect not only themselves and their families, but others and their neighbors and their communities. And so, you know, both governors, different parties, uh, but they've they've implored people to, to take their own personal responsibility and to be smart about their decision making. And, um, you know, we're kind of living a real time experiment in uh, how people are reacting uh, to being how people are reacting when they're being asked to make radical changes to their lives. And some of these changes are very difficult, uh, obviously, with what we've seen with unemployment and, uh, you know, business owners uh, having to take, you know, significant losses on their own investments. And I mean, I don't know what the future holds, but I would say we're going to know a lot more in the next month because in the United States and in both Kentucky and Indiana, we're seeing cases increase, we're seeing positivity rates increase. And if we don't begin to see those numbers turn around, then I think we're going to see potentially a lot more of these uh, types of restrictions. Well, Marcus, thanks as always for chatting. I appreciate it. Appreciate your coverage, your uh, global perspective there. Very helpful. Uh, and we'll do another update um, probably in a month or so uh, on this topic. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. Anytime. The Uncovered Podcast is a production of WDRB Media. Please subscribe, review, and rate wherever you get your podcasts.